Well, this morning, I've entitled our message, Listen Up Church. That's the series that we're in, in the book of Revelation. And I've entitled it, Faithfulness is Rewarded. Today we get good news. Jesus writes to the church in Philadelphia, and he has good news to share with that church. It's a church that's doing things right. Is that always encouraging to hear? That there are churches that are doing things right? And so we get to hear what Jesus has to say to a church that's doing it right. And we get to take the lessons of that church and hopefully apply them into our lives and our church here at Crossroads. Amen? This morning. So um, that's where we're at. Now I want to start this message by saying that uh, as a dad, I had kind of a, a system with all of my kids that at report card time, They could come home, and if they had a good report card, if they had a report card with A's and B's and maybe one C, right? But they had to have uh, a report card that showed that they were really doing their best in school and the results were coming in, that they got to have a treat with dad, right? They They got to spend some time with dad, and dad would buy them frozen yogurt. Now, there was, there used to be a place over here in the Bel Air Shopping Center, it was a victim of the COVID tragedy, yep. right? Because they no longer exist there. But all my kids can tell you that they were excited when it was report card time because they knew that that meant that they got free froyo yep. with dad, right? All the toppings they wanted to throw on, it would be weighed on a scale and it was like 16 pounds by the time they were done. But dad was going to pick up the tab. And what I loved about that place, maybe that's why they're out of business, they would give a discount to all those who brought in a good report card from the school. So that's why I liked it, because I got the 20% discount when it came to paying for everything. Well, that's really what um, this message this morning is all about. It's about, it's report card time, right? And this particular church, the church in uh, in Philadelphia, was was receiving their report card. And so we're going to get a chance to read about that this morning. Join me in Revelation chapter 3. Starting at verse 7, we're going to read this together. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the Holy One, the True One, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one opens, says, I know your works, because you have limited strength, have kept my word, And have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Note this, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you 
for good news. I thank you for this letter, this instruction that was given to this faithful church in Philadelphia. God, thank you that you um, recognize, God, when we are doing things the way that you want us to do them. And God, that you're a good, good father, and you reach out in love and you reward us according to our faithfulness. God, help us in our, in our lives, God, to be the church, the men, the women, the people of God that you've called us to be, to be faithful in all things. And God, I just pray that you open up our minds and open up our hearts this morning so that we examine whether or not we would receive this kind of report from you, the great teacher, the great instructor, God of our faith, and that's Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Let's dive in together. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Where is Philadelphia? Well, Philadelphia is in modern Turkey, as are all of these churches that are being addressed. And what are some of the things that you know in current news headlines from Turkey? Earthquakes, right? Massive earthquakes. Well, it was no different in this day. They, they were situated on a fault. And this fault was constantly active, to the point at which this city was destroyed over and over and over again. It was established by a guy named Atalus Philadelphus. He was the king of Pergamos, one of the, one of the other surrounding cities. And he reigned, or he, his reign went from 159 to 138 B.C. So a couple hundred years, or 150 years before Jesus, this man... Atalus Philadelphus established this city called Philadelphia. And there was a church, there was a presence of the gospel that had taken root in this city. Likely through the Apostle Paul, through other missionary efforts, um, they became a church that was, that was following Jesus. This, the name Philadelphus is similar to the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. It's a place where the love of of the brothers was being practiced regularly. We, we recognized that they, they were a, a church that was doing it right. Um, the Christian testimony in this city continues to this day. It is one of the only, of the seven churches, it's the only one whose name has been preserved to this day. That's pretty interesting, huh? That if you were to, if you were to journey to Turkey today, you could still find this city it's been renamed, but there's a, there's a segment of the city that's still known as Philadelphia today. It had suffered from many earthquakes, and um, to the point at which many of the people who dwelt in the city would move out to the surrounding farmland because they were afraid to live within the city because of all the, the um, unsettled times that they experienced. So, so the angel is um, writing, and uh, God's messenger is, uh, uh, Jesus is writing to the angel or the messenger of the church. Some say the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. And this is what he has to say. The Holy One. He introduces himself. Who is Jesus? The Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and closes and no one opens. Who is Jesus? He's introducing himself as, as the following. He is God. He is good. The Holy One is the Greek word hagios, 
And hagios literally means one who is separate from evil and who always opposes it. Think about that term, holiness, is to be set apart. To set apart, only God is holy. God is set apart from his creation. He can interact with his creation, but he is not part of his creation. He is separate. He is beyond his creation. He is holy. He is good. He is separate from anything that is corrupt and that is evil in our world. He is the holy one. He is also trustworthy. He is the true one. The true word in the Greek means genuine, authentic. There is no corruptness found in him. He is distinguished from all other false gods as being the only true God. That's who Jesus is. And he is the one who has the key of David. He is the sovereign or the king. The king is the one who has the authority. The king is the one who has the key to do what he will with um, all the, the treasures and all the resources of the kingdom. Now it's interesting because this, this um, identity as the one who has the key of David seems to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And I want to give you a little bit of context um, for what was happening in Isaiah during this time so that we understand a little bit about what this concept involves or entails. There was a, a, a situation happening that Isaiah describes back in Isaiah 22 where the city of Jerusalem was being ransacked by a foreign nation called Assyria. And Assyria was a very wicked and evil but very powerful empire of that day. And as a matter of fact, they had just wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. Sometime after King David, the kingdom of Israel was split into two parts. There was the northern part named Israel, and there was the southern kingdom named Judah. And so Israel was being judged by God because from the time of Solomon onward, they never had a king that followed God's instruction. And so they were reaping the consequences. God used a foreign nation of Assyria to come and to conquer and to, to destroy and to punish and, and to remove their place from the map. And, and now they had even entered into the southern kingdom. And they had surrounded Jerusalem. And it looked like all was going to be lost. And this is the context in which Isaiah ministered and lived and taught. And the king is outside the city walls and he's taunting Israel and their God. He's like, you guys are done. Look, nobody can stop me. Has any of the other nations and their gods ever helped them? No. Where are they today? They are conquered. And where are you going to be in just a little while? You're going to be conquered. And he's taunting them. And he's taunting Israel's God. And apparently there was a, a commission of three men. You can read about it in Isaiah. Um, uh, but there was a man named Shebna. He was, he was kind of second in command with the king. He was the one who was the captain of the guard. He held the key, so to speak, to the authority of, of the kingdom. He had been granted that level of authority. He was the palace guard. 
And he goes out with a, uh, with a group of men, and he decides to meet with this king that had surrounded the city, and he's trying to negotiate terms with him. And what he realizes is, like, there's no chance that we can defend against this opposing enemy. And so rather than consult God, or rather than say our God can defend our city, he decides to compromise. He decides to bow his knee to this king. And he decides to go back to the city and begin to make arrangements for his grave to be an amazing grave within the city. That somehow his legacy would be upheld. What does that say? It says he has no faith that God's going to deliver the city, right? And also, it's all about me and my legacy. I want my legacy to live on. And then he instructs the people to eat, to drink, and to party. For tomorrow, we're going to face death. And so God sends Isaiah the prophet to him and says, Hey, that isn't the type of response I want from leadership. I want the type of response that says... God can defend this city. You should have been instructing the people that you serve a God who is the true God, who can do anything. And instead, you chose to deny and to cower. And so, we'll pick up in Isaiah chapter 22. I just wanted to set that stage for understanding what we read in Isaiah 22, verse 15. The Lord God of hosts said, Go to Shebna, That's that official, that steward who is in charge of the palace, and say to him, verse 19, I will remove you from your office. You will be ousted from your position. On that day, I will call for my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and I will tie your sash around him. I will put your authority into his hand, And he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Verse 22, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. You see the the similar language there in Isaiah that's found here in Revelation? You see, Isaiah saw this, this... David's key, symbolizing control of Jerusalem, given to Eliakim, taken away from this this unfaithful servant, Shebna. He saw that. John saw David's greater son, Jesus, in his revelation, holding the key to a, a greater city, the new Jerusalem. And he was given authority to shut and open whatever he willed symbolizing entrance into salvation, into opportunity to serve the kingdom of God. Eliakim, he had the key to the house of David laid upon his shoulder, the Bible says, but Christ, who is the ultimate um, fulfillment of this passage, he was given the key of the supreme government that was laid on his shoulder. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Do you remember that passage? We, we usually use it at Christmas time. But this is fulfilling the idea that Jesus would come and he would be the ultimate fulfillment of holding the authority of the house of David. We're familiar with this because in Matthew 28, Jesus says these words as he's about to leave and go back up to heaven to prepare a place for his church. He leaves his disciples with these words. He says, Then Jesus came near, Matthew 28, 18, and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he gives them the commission. He gives them the instructions for what to do while he's away. And it's still the instructions for us today in the church, is it not? To go and make disciples of all nations. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. And he leaves us with encouragement by saying that he'll be with us until the end of the age. So we see who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is good. He is trustworthy. He is truth. He is sovereign and he is king. Ultimately, he's the ultimate teacher or authority. And as the teacher, what is he looking for from the student? So it's report card time. Remember we talked about that at the outset? What does he want from you and I? Well, let's go on and see. Verse 8. I know your works because you have limited strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. There's the, what he's looking for. There's the example of a church that was doing it right. This is what he's about to commend and reward. So what is it? Let's take a look. A a faithful church's report card needs to include the following. Humble dependence on God's power. Do you depend on God's power or your own wisdom or strength as you navigate life? God's looking for men and women who will say, God, you have the power, the authority to rule and reign in my life. I want to depend on you, and I humble myself before you because I recognize that you are God and I am not. I will depend on your strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul writes these words, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. You know, this morning and and yesterday, I woke up with a toothache. And I don't know if you've ever had tooth pain, but it's not fun, right? It's just like excruciating. And I was sitting there going, I'm supposed to speak, but I can't even think straight right now because it's so painful. It hurts so much. And I was thinking, like, maybe I should just call Kurt and say, Kurt, you got to teach this morning because I can't do it. And then I was reminded that God says, my strength is sufficient. Maybe he wants to use me in my weakness to convey something that I couldn't have done in my own strength. How many of you guys feel that sometimes in your life? I don't have what it takes to make it through this next whatever situation or relationship or, you know, I, I have kids that I don't know what to do as a parent. We all feel that way sometimes, do we not? And yet God gives us what we need for every situation. If we'll just depend, we'll humble ourselves and depend on his power instead of our own. 
Secondly, submissive obedience to God's word. That's the second thing he's looking for. Submissive obedience to God's word. He commends them for keeping his word. That's difficult sometimes, is it not? We go off on our own. We say, I know God says this, but he doesn't live in 21st century in Sacramento, and he doesn't know my situation. And we begin to go down our own path or justify moving away from his word for whatever reason. But God's looking for men and women that say, God said it, and that settles it. And I believe it, and I will follow his word. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not an optional thing. It's not like, well, depends on the situation. No, Jesus is looking for men and women that are committed to his word. If we're going to be a faithful church, we have to be committed to God's word. And, and finally, uncompromising faithfulness to God. You remember what it says here, have not denied my name. In other words, there was no compromise in that church. How easy is it for us to compromise today in this culture? Because, you know, I know God wants us to tell the truth, but a little lie, that doesn't really matter. Is that not what our culture talk says? A little bit of stealing, not a big deal. A little bit of this or that, right? Just a little bit of compromise, it's not going to be a big deal. Maybe you're married, you're like, well, you know, I can kind of, you know, look at other things, and I can begin to start relationships in other places, and it's not going to be a big deal. And Satan's got you. He starts to work in your heart in a way that starts to break apart what God has established as holy, a marriage. You know, in every situation, we are tempted to compromise, are we not? I mean, even in our taxes, right? Well, I don't know if I should report that. That wasn't really that big a deal. And we begin to compromise. God's looking for men and women who will not compromise. He's looking for men and women of integrity who are going to be faithful to God no matter what the cost no matter what the circumstance. And this church is an example of that. Is Crossroads Church, are you and I being compromisers or no compromise? I know your works because you have limited strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look, here comes the reward. I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. You know, in most every other letter to the churches, except for Smyrna, he rebukes something about the church. Not here in Philadelphia. No rebuke from Jesus on the report card. You know, I've received a report card like, hey, he talks a little bit too much in class. He's not on task, right? He needs to work on some things, right? But here, no rebuke. What's interesting, the two churches that didn't receive a, re a rebuke, one is a suffering church. That, that's what Smyrna, they were suffering under tremendous hostility and persecution. The other was a weak church. What did it say? A small, you have limited strength. You're just a small in numbers maybe. You're, you're not that important on the grand scale of things. You know, you look at Crossroads Church, a couple hundred of us here, right? We're not that important in the grand scheme of things. But does God see it that way? 
No. He looks at the small little things. He looked at David, just a small little runt of a man. And he said, that's the man I want to use to accomplish mighty things. That's our God. Take note, verse 9. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews. In other words, they were claiming to be children of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. We have all the rights as children of Abraham. Here's the problem. Children of Abraham is not a physical DNA thing. It's a spiritual heart thing. And these Jews were not that. They were actually taking Jews who would say, I want to follow Jesus. And they were like, you're not welcome in the synagogue anymore. You're out of here. And they began to persecute them. That's not a faithful Jew, somebody who's truly accepting God's word by faith. But they're not. They're lying. Take note, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you loved you. There will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that who? That Jesus is what? Lord. Who else is going to be there? We're going to be there, right? We're going to be there. They're not bowing to us. They're bowing to Jesus, but ultimately we're there with Jesus. There's going to be a day where no matter what enemy has stood against the church, they're going to have to acknowledge they were wrong and that we were loved. By our Father in heaven. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from, or the, another way to say this is to deliver you out from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, the rest of Revelation starts to get into that, right? We, we refer to it as the tribulation or the great tribulation that's going to fall on this earth in the final days. So if you're curious about some of that stuff and, and what it entails, like I said, that you have an invitation to come starting April 12th, and we'll continue our look in the book of Revelation. But God says, I will take my faithful church, and I'll make sure they don't have to go through that time of testing that will come on the whole earth. Another passage of Scripture says that we are not intended for God's wrath. The church, the true faithful church, is not intended to experience the wrath of God. We have been delivered from the wrath of God through our Lord Jesus. Amen? So that's another reward of faithfulness in the church. Let's take a look at uh, good grades. What are the rewards for faithfulness or good grades, if you will? How is the humble, obedient, and faithful church rewarded? Number one, Jesus entrusts his faithful church. He gives us more doors for opportunity to matter for his kingdom. Is that important? Do we want open doors as Crossroads Church to matter for God's kingdom? Absolutely. Otherwise, the whole point of us gathering together is sort of silly. Right? What's the point? We can pat each other on the back and go, good job. For what? What are we doing for God's kingdom? To advance his kingdom. To honor him as king in our community. God entrusts more responsibility. He'll open more doors of opportunity to his faithful churches. At Crossroads, I want to be a part of that. Do you? Amen. Number two, Jesus exalts his faithful church. We get to share in Christ's rule and reign. Is that exciting? 
Remember I talked about that day where one day we will stand in Jesus' presence and we will be ruling and reigning with Christ. We will come back to the earth where he is going to set up his kingdom on earth. And it says that we will rule and reign with him. But that is reserved for those that are truly faithful. You can't be fraudulent. You have to be faithful. And number three, Jesus evacuates. Now I had to find another E. All right, because I'm a pastor, right? Evacuates, you can use extricates, extracts, whatever E you want to use here. But he evacuates his faithful church. Do you remember he says, I will deliver you out from, I will, I will take you and reserve you from having to experience the wrath that's going to come on all the earth. That's exciting truth though, is it not? That his church, does, his faithful church does not have to go through it. One day there's going to be a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up together with Jesus in the clouds. And we will be with him forever. That's encouraging words. And that's what Paul told the church to do, is to encourage one another with these words. Is our great hope that we're just going to have to go through all the struggles on this earth forever? No, our great hope is the appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we await, look forward to. All hope happens before we die, right? But for 2,000 years, his patience has been ongoing. You talk about love. What first characteristic of love is, love is patient. God is love. He is patient with this world, is he not? I wouldn't be this patient. I would have been like day three, oh, let's go get them. Bunch of losers down there, including myself, right? I'm a loser. But God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. And he wants to use you and me to convey that message to a lost and hurting and dying world. Are we on board? Well, Jesus wants to make sure we have some encouragement as we go through this. And, and as we get close into this passage, I want to go through the rest of this, and talk about the encouragement that he leaves his church with. Verse 11, I am coming quickly. Wow, that's great news, right? And we go, but Jesus has been 2,000 years. Well, quickly is it from his perspective, not necessarily ours. But it should give us incentive to persevere faithfully while we wait this great promise, or it should bring comfort to those of us who are going through trials knowing that it's not going to last forever. Jesus is coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Here's the encouragement that he leaves his faithful church. Have perspective. Have perspective. Jesus is coming. Pain and hardships, they're temporary. My toothache, it's temporary. Right? I don't have to live with this for eternity, thank God. Help and relief is on the way. Jesus is coming because Jesus keeps all of his promises. Number two, hang in there and hold on tight. You know, I thought about my kids as they're going through those, like, times of tests. You know, oh, Dad, I have a test coming up in math, and I don't know if I'm ready for it. And I encourage them, hang in there because froyo's on the horizon. Hang in there because your report card needs to be good if you want that reward. You can do it. Study. Put in the time. Put in the work. 
while you still can, do what you need to do so that you have the right result in the end. That's what Jesus wants to tell his, his church. Hang in there. Hold on tight. We have everything we need for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. That his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We need to hold on tight to the truth. Hold on tight. Don't let anything deter us from carrying out our mission for Jesus. You matter. You matter. Understand that you matter to Jesus. He wants to use your life. Yeah, we're all imperfect vessels, right? Amen? Hopefully we're all clean vessels because we've been forgiven at the, at the cross. Not because of what we've done, but because what he did. Hallelujah, Christ is victorious. That's point three. That's encouragement number three. Jesus' A plus can be your A plus. Do you understand that concept? Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus, perfect man, went to a cross and paid for our imperfect sin. And he said, I'll give my perfect record in exchange for their sin and corruption. Anyone who will choose me can have my perfect record put onto their account. It's a free gift. By belief, you can have an A+, not because you've done it, but because he is the A+. He is perfection. And he will give that to anyone who will come and drink of the water that he offers. Drink of the salvation that he offers every one of us, no matter how bad our lives have been. It doesn't matter. He died for the criminal that was hanging on the cross, who had a death sentence. And he says, today you will live with me in paradise because of your faith. Because of your decision to trust me. Exchange your filthy rags for my perfection. That's the offer of salvation. It's a free gift. Not by works of righteousness, of which we do, but by his mercy, he is willing to save us. Amen? Amen. I pray that you've made that decision. And if you haven't, there'll be a time of response. There'll be men and women available for prayer in just a few minutes to respond this morning. What reward awaits those who live by faith or known by love and a voice of hope? What reward awaits those who are true disciples? Listen to this. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. I don't have time to go deep into this, but in, in Jerusalem there was a temple. There were two giant pillars in Solomon's temple. And they held up the whole structure. And they were named. One was named Boaz and one was named Jachin. Jachin. Boaz means in him is strength. And Jachin means it will be established firmly. Remember where these people lived. What was happening in the ground where these people were living all the time? Unsettled earthquakes. It was always rocking. And, and Jesus' words of comfort to them was like, one day you can have security forever. You don't have to worry about earthquakes hitting you, disrupting your life. You can be a pillar firmly established in the house of God. That's encouragement, is it not? That's exciting to look forward to. It's offered for anybody who is part of his faithful church. 
And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. What's interesting is the priest, the high priest of God, the Aaronic priesthood, there was a guy who actually wore a name of God, holiness to the Lord, on his forehead every time he went in and served the Lord. And we are ultimately priests of God if we're serving him. And we are going to have the name of God written on our forehead. And that's different than those who serve the beast of this world. It says that they're going to have what? The mark of the beast written on their forehead. But not those who are faithful to God. They are going to be given the new name of God and the new name of Christ. Which we don't even know what that is. We'll find out. We'll find out. So what does the victor in Christ receive as we close? Permanent residency with God and perfect relationship with God. Are those worth going after? That's better than Froyo. I'll tell you this. Froyo just adds the calories to here. But permanent residency with God and perfect relationship with God? Wow. I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. Anyone who has ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to respond this morning. I'm, we're going to watch this video. And this video introduces the idea of remembering Jesus through communion, through a time of, of taking part in the, in the bread and in the cup. Because the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the cup represents the blood that was spilt to begin the covenant with his church. And if you want to get right with God, that's what you should do before you come to the table. You say, God, I haven't been faithful. And God, I'm sorry for some of the things that I've done to not be faithful, to not be what you've expected me to be. Do that where you sit as we begin to respond. And then come to the table and say, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness and for the cross. By faith, I want to become the man or the woman, the church that you've called me to be. Amen? Let's watch this.